Creek for about three-ish years. And um, we've got four little ones running around, all um, little blonde-headed kiddos. Adam teaches at Bracken County Middle School. He's in the special education department, and I am a nurse at Cincinnati Children's. We were married in 2004, so we've been married for 14 years, um, and it's been great 14 years. Yeah. Ups and downs, but mainly ups. For sure. Very blessed. Um, so before we got married, our parents um, were not bad with money, um, but they didn't ever really, aside from teaching me how to balance the checkbook, they didn't, um, they didn't give us any sound financial advice, so we were just kind of winging it. Going into our marriage, we saw what our parents had, which took them years and years to, to build up years, and to, to, yeah. to accomplish, and we kind of wanted that right away, and I just don't think we were as patient as we needed to be and should have been with money, obviously, starting off. We thought we deserved to, to have those things and that self-gratification, yeah. and if we want it, we can get it. You know, yeah. we didn't worry about uh, the cost. Yeah, vehicles, definitely vehicles. Gosh, we just went through vehicles <laughs> like it was... We were always uh, upside down on You know, if we ever wanted to sell them, we were always in a bad position. It was never well thought out purchasing vehicles. Yeah, that was, that was probably one of our biggest ones. Um, yeah, and then we weren't prepared for our first house. We weren't prepared for, um, you know, the bank tells you you could borrow this much, and we were like, okay, okay, we'll do that. And it was too much. I just knew this is not how it's supposed to be. February 1st of this year, we decided that we were going to, to hit it hard and, and knock out all of our debt aside from our house, um, which included some student loans, cars, some credit card debt, and we were able to do and that. Bo. And both. Yeah, we had to pay we both. Had to pay off baby, baby number four. <laughs> and it had to pay off. Um, but we did that, and actually, just yesterday, we sent in our final payment for the van, and we are completely debt free aside from our house. It was a lofty goal to be done um, by the end of this year. It was um, what we like dreamed of, but I don't know if we really thought it was actually attainable. Uh, we just prayed a lot and we just had our noses to our budget constantly and um, found ways to um, just stay focused. I guess I always thought, well, you know, you need to make a whole lot of money to be able to pay, pay stuff off. And like, you surely we'll always have a car payment and different things like that. But through this, we just decided, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to, you know, find ways to to, to chip away at this. And it, once we started doing it, it actually it was amazing at how quickly we started finding uh, finding things to do to, to do that. Lots of extra side jobs, side hustles. Um, nothing was beneath us. He cuts and um, delivers wood for people. Um, he Pressure wash houses, uh, painting, staining. Staining decks. Uh, teaching online. Teaching English to, to, teaching English to, to students kids in China. In China. Yeah. Um, our our Carmel, Carmel Apple business has blown up. Um, There's I've, just many opportunities out there if you, if you seek those opportunities out because it's, it's, it's there if you need it. Yeah. And now that we are actually uh, do, following a written budget month to month, we're finding money that we didn't know where that money was going originally and now we know what we were doing with it. We were, we were spending it in ways that yeah. We didn't need to, and now we're able to, you know, when we give every dollar a name and assign it to a certain spot, then, and follow that, 
at the end of the month, it's amazing how much money you can find to, to, to throw at the debt and to throw at these other things. Some of the things that we wanted and thought were so necessary to have, um, now that we are paying attention to what we're spending, it is so materialistic that it's just not even a desire for us anymore, which is nice. And we've been so blessed with our finances from, from God that we know that we need to treat that uh, in a biblical way and, and, and be able to bless others and show others God's love through that, through that money and through, the, through our finances. I, I have always thought it was so cool when I hear the stories where you buy a single mom a car or you... Um, help someone with college or yeah. with, you know, something Help else. somebody with an adoption. Um, I think that is just the coolest thing ever because you're changing somebody's life with something so simple and uh, I would love to be able to do that one day. At the beginning of this journey, it seemed like a pretty tall task, uh, but we hope that by doing this, we're able to you know, encourage someone that maybe feels like that they, they are in a, in a tough place financially and, and they feel like there's no way to dig out or get out of it. But if you, if you work hard um, and you look for those opportunities and you, you follow, uh, you know, pray about it and stick to it financially, you can, you can do it, you can get through it. morning Plum Creek. I want to welcome all of you here today and I am glad that we finally have a weekend where the weather is cooperating a little better to have church. If you haven't been around for the last couple weeks or if you happen to be new to Plum Creek we're currently in this series called How to Make a Monster Listen and through this series we're learning that money doesn't have to be a monster when we handle it God's way. And wow, I am so thankful to Adam and Nicole Nelson for sharing their story with us because they gave us a powerful example that it is possible to make money behave. There are several things I love about the Nelson story. For one, I love the freedom that they found. Their journey to pay off debt started last February and then they reached their goal in December. Over that time, they eliminated tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And because of that, they're free to start dreaming about ways that God could use them to be generous and make a difference in the lives of others. So that freedom is amazing. But there's another thing I love about their story. Adam and Nicole are very open. They're willing to admit that early on, they weren't making great financial decisions and it's helpful to hear them say that because sometimes we feel alone in our struggles. We may have this desire to sort of hide our bad decisions. But the truth is, all of us have made some bad calls with money at some point in our lives. This week I was thinking about some of the boneheaded moves that I've made over the years. One of them happened back in my early 20s. And in those days, I had this weird mindset about money. On the one hand, I wanted to have nice things, but on the other hand, I had this inner desire to be cheap, and I got half of that mindset from my dad. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad was a preacher, and when he wasn't at work, I felt like my dad had two hobbies. Number one was manual labor. His second favorite hobby seemed to be not spending money. He loved not spending money. <laughs> Dad grew up in the Great Depression, and I think it, it was literally painful for him to spend a dime when it wasn't absolutely necessary. 
And, you know, being frugal is not a bad trait to have, but, of course, I didn't grow up in the Great Depression. I grew up with toys and comforts and fun experiences. So, like I said, I had these two dynamics going on. I picked up some of Dad's tendency to be cheap, but I also picked up an appreciation for nice things. So how did that play out when I finished college and I went out to live on my own? Well, I'll tell you. I started my first full-time job as a youth minister up in Ohio. My salary was $20,000 a year. And at the time, I was driving a little four-door Plymouth Colt. The color was this ugly mixture of gold and brown. And when you had the AC on, it took forever to get to 60 miles an hour. Now, if you were here last week, you know we talked about contentment, right? And uh, I was really struggling to be content as I drove around town in this little cult. So I went out and I found a slightly used Geo Prism that seemed like a pretty big upgrade to me. Although looking back, really wasn't much of an upgrade. <laughs> but anyway, because of my dad's example, uh, I didn't want to take out a loan to buy this car. Dad taught me that when you finance a purchase, you end up paying more in the end because of interest. So here's what I did. I took out just about all of the savings I had, about $5,000, and I paid cash for the Geo Prism. And then, still trying to be as cheap as possible, I decided not to pay for collision insurance. After all, I had no plans to get in an accident. You can probably see where this is going, right? About two months after I bought the Geo, I was driving on ice and snow, which was still pretty new to me since I had grown up mostly in Florida. And sure enough, I was going around a curve, and I slid on the ice, and I slammed into a Honda Accord. Nobody was hurt, but my Geo was totaled, and my insurance didn't cover the accident. And just like that, all my savings was gone. And I still had to find a replacement car to drive. Needless to say, that was not a fun time for me. Now, accidents will happen, and there is no way to avoid all unplanned expenses. But if you go back through my story, you can see several points where I made some unwise financial decisions. But here's the thing. I was young. There was so much I didn't know. And where was I supposed to go to learn to make wise decisions with my money? Well, I didn't realize it back then, but I could have learned a lot from the Bible. The Bible is actually the best resource out there for teaching us how to handle money. And why would that be? Why would we expect to find solid financial advice in the Bible? It's because this is literally the Word of God. It's inspired by the one who created the universe. And if anyone knows the best way to live, God does. I'll give you one example of the wisdom that we can find in Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. We've all heard that saying, right? And we've all seen that it's true. If you plant corn, you don't get wheat or potatoes or Brussels sprouts. You get corn. And this principle of reaping and sowing shows us that God has designed the world to work in a certain way. 
And if we follow God's design as closely as possible, we'll reap a harvest of blessings. But what happens if you're hoping for a harvest of corn and then you never plant anything and you just sit around watching the weeds grow? Is there any chance that you'll end up with a field full of corn? It's not going to happen, is it? Because you reap what you sow. This model applies to so many areas of our lives. And one of those areas is our finances. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of passages in the Bible that talk about money. And I don't think you want me to go through all of them this morning. But I am going to give you a list of just five proven money principles. I got this list from Dave Ramsey, which is a name I'm sure most of you know. In fact, Adam and Nicole said that Dave's resources were very helpful in their journey. But the principles I'm about to give you are not ideas that originated from Dave Ramsey. These are principles that Dave saw in Scripture. They're available to anyone who's willing to read the Bible. Now, before we dig in here, I want to acknowledge up front that none of us will do these five things perfectly all the time. We all need grace, even those of us who have been following Jesus for decades. But we can grow in these areas, and when we do, here's what we'll find. We'll find that the more we align our lives to these biblical principles, the more we'll experience financial freedom and God's blessings. So, let's dive in. Here's the first principle. Number one, live on a budget. And let's be honest, just hearing the word budget causes some of us to shudder a little bit, right? And yeah, setting up a budget and trying to follow it, it may not always seem like fun, but if we're going to make money behave, it's absolutely necessary. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. Now, I seriously doubt that anyone ever started out in life saying, I want to make a conscious decision to serve money. I want money to be my master. Nobody does that. But we do know that when money gets out of control, it can become our master. We can become addicted to accumulating wealth and stuff, or or we can be chained down by debt. The pursuit of money or the lack of money can literally steal our freedom. But in this verse, Jesus says, you have a choice to make. Either you give God the number one place in your life, which is what he deserves, or you choose to serve an idol that will at some point become your master. So yes, money can be an idol, but when we put God first, money becomes a tool that we manage. Money is something we can use to bless others or to bring glory to God. But in order to manage money the proper way, we need a budget. And the idea of a budget is pretty simple. John Maxwell says, a budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. It's looking at every dollar that comes in and giving each dollar a name. It's deciding in advance. Here's the amount that we expect to pay for each of our bills. Here's the amount that we'll spend in each category, like food or clothing or whatever. It's looking ahead, and it's counting the cost. And that's another thing that Jesus talked about. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus was going over the cost of becoming his disciple, and he gave this illustration. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, 
Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So basically, don't start a project and don't make a purchase until you know how you're going to pay for it. That sort of sounds like common sense, doesn't it? The problem is the world doesn't want to operate that way anymore. The world says, yeah, just go ahead and buy it now, then figure out how to pay for it later. And many of us have fallen into that mindset. We don't like the question, can I afford it? Because the answer is often no. We'd rather ask the question, do I want it? Because you can always say yes to that question. But Jesus says no, count the cost, figure out what you can afford. And the way to determine that is with a budget. Without a budget, you're guessing. Without a budget, money can quickly become a monster. And then before you know it, you're serving a master that you never intended to serve. So I'll ask you directly, do you have a plan, a written plan? And if you're married, have you and your spouse agreed on that plan? You know, it's not too late to set up a budget for 2019. Uh, We still have a lot of year to go. Some of us here may need to set up a budget for the first time, and if that's the case, it's a good idea to seek out some help. Uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University is a great resource, and we're offering that class soon here at Plum Creek. And by the way, last I checked, we still have room, but don't wait because it's filling up quickly. You could also use a tool like Every Dollar, which is a free app that also comes from the Dave Ramsey folks. But honestly, there are many, many resources out there to help you set up a budget. If you need help finding one, let me know. Uh, We'd be happy to point you in the right direction. I'll tell you, though, the challenge is not in setting up a budget. The challenge is being disciplined and living according to that budget every month. And because of that challenge, some of us here need to do a reboot. Maybe you had a budget in the past, but you just haven't been following it lately. And trust me, I understand how that happens. It's kind of like trying to eat healthy or exercise regularly. We go through these cycles where we're doing okay for a while, and then all of a sudden, you fall off the wagon. But I hope you don't hear this sermon as a guilt trip. Just take it as a reminder that the best time to start a budget or restart living by a budget is right now. The best time is right now. So that's the first principle, but we got to move on. The second one is to get out of debt. Now, does the Bible ever say that it's a sin to be in debt? Actually, no, it does not. And that's a good thing, too, because my wife and I still have a long way to go to pay off our house. But it's important to note that every time Scripture mentions debt, it's presented in a negative light. The Bible tells us there are potential dangers that come with debt. One example is Proverbs 22, verse 7, which says, The borrower is slave to the lender. That doesn't sound very positive, does it? And and if you want to get some perspective on this, just use your imagination for a second. If you were completely debt-free, how much money would that free up every month in your home? If you didn't have to make any payments on student loans or vehicles or even your house, how would that change things? Think about all the good you could do. Think about all the people you could bless. It's 
kind of an exciting thought, isn't it? The bottom line is, in order to align ourselves more closely with God's wisdom, we want to attack our debt. We don't want to dig a deeper hole. And if you go back to Proverbs chapter 22, you'll find something very interesting. And we just read Proverbs 22, 7, uh, but let's back up and read verse 6. Right before we get that caution about borrowing money, verse 6 says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. All of us who are parents are passing down our habits to our children. They're learning from us. And I know that we want to give them a pattern that they can embrace instead of a pattern that they'll have to fight for the rest of their lives. So you know what our kids need to see in us? They need to see self-discipline. They need to see that we're willing to say no when we should say no, and we're willing to wait when we should wait. They need to see contentment. It's like we read last week from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I think about that old Plymouth Colt I had years ago. Would it have killed me to drive that car around for a couple more years? Not at all. It was running fine when I got rid of it, even though it was the slowest car I ever had. But I'm trying to learn my lesson. And my wife and I haven't had a car payment since the day we got married, and that's been a huge blessing. So let's attack our debt Let's see how contentment leads to great gain. The third principle we'll look at this morning may surprise you. Principle number three is build high-quality relationships. And you might look at that and say, well, what does that have to do with money? And it's pretty simple, really. You become who you hang out with. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, which says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, don't misunderstand what this verse is saying here. This is not an instruction to cut yourself off from everyone who doesn't believe the same things you do. Uh, you can look at Jesus and see that he definitely spent lots of time with people who were far from God. The point of this verse is to look at your crew. Look at your core group of friends. Who are they? You've got to pay attention to that because, like I said, you become who you surround yourself with. Can you think of an example in your life when you've been influenced by the people around you? I can think of several, but here's the first one that came to mind. Before I moved to northern Kentucky and the greater Cincinnati area, I had never even heard of Geta. Wasn't on my radar. But then I started hanging out with some of you guys, and before you know it, you're telling me to try this stuff. And what do you know? It's really, really good. Uh, so these days, I'm a big fan. I've got a couple of restaurants where I love to order a Geta egg and cheese sandwich. And best of all, my amazing and beautiful wife has started making Geta at home. Clearly, God has been very good to me. But the point is, you people got me to eat Geta. Who you run with can influence you in all kinds of ways, and your close friends will have an effect on you. And that certainly applies to money. If your friends are struggling to be content, and they're out making unnecessary purchases in an attempt to buy happiness, their discontentment will infiltrate your life. But the opposite is also true. Your friends can also be a positive influence. If you have close relationships with friends who 
have a budget and they stick to it month after month, that behavior is also likely to rub off on you. Now, again, we're not saying that you should ignore people who may give a bad example, but let your close friends be the ones who encourage you to make wise decisions. We're up to principle number four, and this one is to save and invest. There's a great verse in the book of Proverbs that talks about this principle. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? If I spend all the money that I take in, I'm a fool. And I could choose to be offended by that statement, but who said it? Remember, this is Scripture. This is God's Word. God's Word says, if I'm not saving up for a rainy day, I am a fool. So let's think about this. Why is it smart to save? It's smart because rainy days will come. We know this. Listen, I am no meteorologist, and you're probably not either, but What is the chance that we'll get some rain between now and the end of the year? I think we can safely say there's a 100% chance that it will rain at least once in northern Kentucky in the next 11 months. But now let's make a slight change to that question. What is the chance that you will have some kind of unexpected expense between now and the end of the year? It's the same answer, isn't it? It's 100%. Now, when I bought that Geo Prism years ago, I had no idea that I would wreck that car two months after I bought it. We can't know specific events ahead of time, but we can know that those kinds of things happen all the time. Last year, my family did not have any car accidents, and I'm very grateful for that. But we did have some medical expenses that we didn't know were coming. And this time around, we had some savings in place, and we could cover those expenses without getting stressed out. You'll hear Dave Ramsey say that if you want to get your finances in order, uh, the first thing to do, your first baby step is to save up $1,000 in an emergency fund. And that's certainly a wise step to take, but it's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to saving. We should have a plan in place for all kinds of scenarios. If you have kids at home, it's a great idea to have a college fund. You can also save up for your next vehicle or another big purchase. You can save up for a retirement You don't have to be a prophet to know that these things are coming. Any of us can sit down and make a list of the expenses that we're likely to have in the future. And then we can follow the wisdom of Scripture and save up for that future. We can get ready now for what's coming later. Saving and investing is like sowing seeds. And the harvest that you reap later is peace because you're able to cover your expenses when the time comes. So, we've got one more principle to mention here, and in my opinion, this one is just fun. Principle number five is to practice generosity. I think about Adam and Nicole in that video when they were brainstorming about ways to be generous. Did you notice how excited they were? They were having fun, thinking about how they could bless others. And that reminds me of a famous statement that Jesus made. Acts chapter 20 tells us, The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it doesn't always feel like that's true, especially when you're a kid. It doesn't seem possible that it's better to give than to receive. However, as the years go by, if we're paying attention, we learn that this is absolutely true. 
Dave Ramsey gives a specific challenge that I thought was great. He says, one of these years, on Thanksgiving Day, when you're on your way to grandma's or wherever, stop by a Waffle House. And then, with everybody still in the car, wait in the parking lot for a couple minutes and look through the windows and pay attention to the servers. And pick out one who seems like maybe they could use some encouragement. Chances are, if you're working as a server at a Waffle House on Thanksgiving Day, you could use some encouragement. Then you go inside, find a seat at the counter, and you order just a cup of coffee. And uh, you sit there for a couple minutes, but you don't even have to drink the whole cup. Then uh, before you get up to leave, you slide three $100 bills under the edge of that coffee cup. And you go back outside, and you sit in the car, and you wait, and you watch, and you see what happens. Dave said when, when that server picks up those bills, You might see them look around thinking, there's no way this is for me. But then gradually, as it sinks in, you get to watch as this person reacts with joy and gratitude and and maybe some tears. And if you have your kids in the car with you, they get to see that too. They get to be a part of that experience. And, And Dave said, that's a lesson they'll never forget. He also said, if you took that same $300 and you go to the fanciest restaurant you could find, and you eat the most expensive food, and you get the best service you could possibly get, you may have a good time. You you may have fun. But there's no way it could compare with the Waffle House experience. And the reason is obvious. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus himself said it. Now next week, we're going to wrap up this series talking about generosity. And I do believe that message will be more fun than any of the others in this series because we're going to do some dreaming. We're going to dream about the possibilities of what God could do through us as we become more and more generous. How will he use us to build his kingdom, to lead people to Jesus? How will he use us to lead people from despair to hope, from misery to joy? It's going to be exciting to find out what God will do. So there they are. Uh, Those are five basic money principles from the Bible. They've been proven to work. And the more we do these five things, the more we set ourselves up to be blessed by God. Now listen, this is not a prosperity gospel. Uh, Doing these things is not a guarantee that you won't go through hard times. In fact, like we said, part of the wisdom here is learning to be prepared for hard times. We also don't do these things as a way to earn God's approval If that was the case, we'd all be in trouble because, like I said, none of us will do these five things perfectly every time. The only way to earn God's approval is through the grace that comes from a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I have to say that every week. We, We don't earn grace. We only receive it. But even though we'll never be perfect in this lifetime, God will help us grow. He does that. He can teach us to to live more in line with the way that he designed this world. Remember, a man reaps what he sows. If you plant corn, you get corn. If you plant apple seeds, you get apple trees. And in the same way, following biblical money principles leads to financial and spiritual blessings. So our goal this morning is to be intentional about what we plant when it comes to money, because all of us reap what we sow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning because 
we know that you have all the wisdom we need. As the one who created this world and this universe, you know how life is supposed to work. You know how it works best. So Lord, help us to listen to you, to grow in wisdom in this area of finances, but really throughout life. And I pray, Lord, that we will, uh, above all things, accept the grace that you offer us. Because through the grace that we find in a life-changing relationship with you, we do change. We, we are transformed to become more of who you want us to be, to be more aligned with your design for this life and this world. And then, Lord, we, we look forward to uh, a time where we don't have to worry about the struggles of this life anymore. We can look forward to an eternity with you, but that, that only comes through your grace. So I pray that all of us here will receive that. In Jesus' name, amen.